Hi, I'm Sean O. McCarthy, founding editor of the Comics Comic. Found wherever you can type the Comics Comic into your electronic devices. Welcome to Last Things First, the show that asks comedians about the historic lasts and firsts in their lives as their comedy careers have blossomed, from young people's dreams to adult people living those dreams, or still dreaming. Questions both big and small are asked and answered. It's hopefully both amusing and illuminating. Sophie Santos grew up in locations around the country, moving from Kansas to Alabama and eventually New York City, where she hosts The Lesbian Agenda, a satirical comedy show that she plans to take on the road to further her agenda. In 2021, Santos voiced roles in two Audible original podcast series, Hit Job, starring Pete Davidson and Kiki Palmer, and Hot White Heist, starring Bowen Yang, Alan Cumming, and Cynthia Nixon. Santos has just written her first book, a memoir, called The One You Want to Marry and Other Identities I've Had, and celebrates the book launch October 1st at Brooklyn's Union Hall. Santos talked with me about coming out as a lesbian first and then later as a comedian, finding her way and her voice along the way. She also shared stories about working on the dating show Blind Date, as well as taking her two-person musical parody show, Riverdale Live, to the Edinburgh Fringe Festival. If you like this conversation please consider subscribing to my Substack called Epiphany at piffany.substack.com so you can read bonus commentary on this episode as well as more comedy news and insights. Thanks in advance. And now that that's out of the way, let's get to it. So Sophie Santos, uh, last things first. Uh, so as you're well aware now that lesbians have taken over, uh, how do you feel? Um, I mean, I've never felt better, to be honest. Um, it's exactly where uh, I want to be. It's exactly where society needs to be. And I'm really glad that we've, you know, it, it started from the ground up as, you know, like a grassroots sort of organization. And so the fact that we're literally everywhere is, you know, it's just a dream come true. I can't believe it. Well, also, I have to congratulate you. Well, I don't have to congratulate you, but congratulations <laughs> on your uh, memoir, The One You Want to Marry and Other Identities I've Had. Uh, I, I love the book, but I also loved a piece that you wrote for McSweeney's, uh, The Open Letter to Straight Couples, <laughs> who have been quarantining together after only dating for a few weeks from a lesbian <laughs> who's been there before. Uh, <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, actually, I think that might be my best work. Uh, so uh, forget the memoir. <laughs> That's, uh, we're just going to talk about that piece. Um, no, that one was, I was noticing, and I don't know if you noticed this, but um, there came a time in March 2020 when the pandemic was happening and people were dating because that's, you know, everyone was just going about their normal lives and um, couples were or people who were just casually dating were kind of left to the decision do I continue dating this person that I have feelings for um uh which means I have to quarantine with them um so uh, such an extreme decision or do I just break it off and then be alone during quarantine and obviously we didn't know how long quarantine was going to be but I cannot tell you how many of my uh straight friends did this and (laughs) literally moved upstate and, you know, did all these stereotypical things. I'm seeing them like, you know, just in foliage, you know, I'm seeing them just like, you know, shopping for apples together. And I'm like, what is going on? 
Um, so yeah, so that came from a place of like amusement and also kind of calling out my, my friends, uh, and they text and I had people text me. They're like, is this about me? And I was like, well, yeah. (laughs) Correct me if I'm wrong, although you may not know this. Uh, but I believe that Rosebud Baker and Andy Haynes got engaged three days into quarantine. Yeah, I think so too. I don't, um, I don't personally know her but Mm -hmm. i did see this through like mutual friends um and when i was like discussing the article with people about like you know am i gonna write it should i write it you know blah 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 they were like well rosebud this 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 happened i'm like okay well then (laughs) there i have to now yeah um uh did you happen to watch the uh u.s open women's tennis finals i didn't you didn't I don't know. Color me shocked because as someone with multiple identities, I figured watching two teenagers, one of whom is British, but of Chinese and Romanian descent and the Canadian and a Canadian teen who's of Filipino and Ecuadorian descent would have been, would have been right up a lesbian's alley. Yes. And my, and and this Filipino and Spanish. I know. I will. I, wow. I let my people down. Um, I can't believe I did this. Um, I actually, I don't know what was going on. Oh, you know why? I'm in a fantasy football league right now, and that's kind of taken over my life, to be honest. And I was so focused on getting my team together Mm. that everything else fell by the wayside. So Once you start rolling tide, you cannot stop. (laughs) You cannot stop. And thank you for acknowledging the roll tide. (laughs) So I take it that the identity crisis didn't even start with you because as you mentioned in the book your parents named you sophie elizabeth mm-hmm. but then but then called you elizabeth when you were a kid yes was that confusing it's so confusing so <laughs> confusing and to all the parents out there or to anyone who wants to be a parent just just call your child by the first name because it's so confusing and it's hard and like I was like so attached to Elizabeth but then when I'd show up to class of course they're going to call me Sophie because it's the first thing on the roster and a lot of times it's like Sophie E you know they don't know they won't even put your your full middle name so just from the time that I start going to school preschool or whatever kindergarten when I can like when I actually have opinions I'm I'm like kind of slowly having a panic attack because a I don't like the name Sophie because I think it's too girly um which I've been told later in life that Elizabeth is also like pretty feminine. And if you think about any sort of period piece, they're all named Elizabeth right? <laughs> or Elizabeth Swan, if we're thinking about Pirates of the Caribbean. Um, but, um, but yeah, and it was, it was so confusing for me to answer your question. So I was, I didn't even, and then until college. And then in the book, I later, I'm like, my mom's like, well, you have to choose, even though <laughs> she right. put this on me. And I, and then it, we went with Sophie and, and then now it's Sophie. Uh, you also mentioned, and I had forgotten about this as a jaded uh, New Yorker slash Northeasterner, that there was a... You seem uh, so, yeah, you seem so jaded. You're, <laughs> you're, so you're, the vibes that I've been getting this whole time is you're very jaded. Um, you don't want to be here. You're, <laughs> you're grumpy. I'm getting all of those vibes. So just letting you know. It's my own identity crisis. <laughs> I come off as fun-loving <laughs> and gregarious inside, cynical, jaded. Um, it's something I love that I have, for you, though. It's something I have to deal with. But I had forgotten that 
while you were at the University of Alabama that there was a fatal tornado that almost became fatal for you. Yes. How and did that? About, and you heard about this all the way up on the East Coast? <laughs> it made the nightly news. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I mean, it was a big deal and I just can't remember because obviously like Katrina obviously was like worldwide. Right. Um, and this one was, cl- I mean, I don't necessarily know if this specific incident was worldwide, but it, but yeah, it was, it was crazy. I mean, it was terrifying um, and uh, wreaked habit on the school and it killed a bunch of students and it just killed a lot of people um, completely destroyed like our strip, you know, like everyone has like a, like a downtown strip of um, restaurants and bars and, and houses. And, um, and I was in, I was just in class and, you know, when you're from the South, you make tour seriously, but you're also at the same time used to them, weirdly enough. And I think we just all were like, yeah, the tornado's coming, but a tornado always comes around this time. So as long as we're in like some sort of um, brick type building, you're going to be fine. And it just happened to be one of the worst tornadoes, um, uh, I guess, category. I don't know. I don't know the category uh, number. For tornadoes, I think they're F. Because I was going to say category five, but that's hurricane. That's hurricanes. Which is also something I had to deal with because of the South. So, you know, we're just like always constantly dodging. I'm always like on a lifeline. But, but when you're, you know, when you're in those formative teen slash college years where you're also starting to figure out your sexual identity. Right. How does, how does, how do brushes with death or things like that, how did those impact your thinking in terms of what you want to do with your life? Does it change? Yeah. How I mean, you yeah, want things ch- to go? Yeah. It changed everything. I mean, I was also just, you know, an only child um definitely like lived in a bubble um and was for sure a late bloomer uh i mean i talk about how i believed in santa claus until i was 13 fully believing in santa claus you know why wouldn't you why wouldn't you well see that's the thing and i think we need to normalize that but um but i did but yeah going back to the the tornado situation um i did feel invincible and especially when you're in college and you're just kind of like you're just carefree and it doesn't really you know you're just going to class and you're drinking and you're just you know being wild and letting loose really for the first time because you don't you're not under your parents gaze um i it was the first time i realized that i could die and Obviously, like when you see, you know, I've been to my grandmother's funeral, but she was older. So I didn't think that like me as a 19 year old could just die like that. And so it it truly like it was like an electroshock to my body. I remember uh, a couple of days later after my roommates moved out because they canceled school, everyone went home. I was lying in bed and in my house, because I just like had a house on campus with two of my friends. And I just started having what I thought was a panic attack. And I called my mom, who's a nurse. And she was just like, yeah, honey, I think that's what that is. I think you need to go down and see somebody. And we, I did. And they gave me Klonopin, which I'm not really sure if a college um, facility should give you Klonopin like that. But they just were like, here, this is going to help. Um, and I had no idea, like, what it was. Um, and ultimately, 
uh, decided to not stay. I was going to take summer classes and I, you know, I was like, no, I'm not going to stay in this house by myself. I really can't be alone. Um, went back to, um, I went to Kansas city where my mom was living at the time and, uh, was just so terrified to my core that death was imminent that I like everything. I, I couldn't walk outside without thinking that, you know, some sort of terrorist attack would happen in my like quaint neighborhood, you know, uh, or a plane would just fall out of the sky, um, while I'm eating pizza somewhere, um, you know, more things that are like, I guess a little bit more realistic is like me driving. I, I, I got terrified of driving because I was like, well, somebody's going to come and smash and kill me. And so I went to an outpatient facility and um, they, you know, I was in therapy for eight hours a day for two weeks. And I, uh, and then I got on medication and it was the first time also I was acknowledging that I had anxiety, which I talk a lot about in the book is that I had anxiety as a kid and, but didn't know how to diagnose it. No one really could figure out how to diagnose it, um, which no shade to my mom, but that's not her, that wasn't her specific niche um, yes, as a nurse. Um, and, and I really had to kind of start from the ground up. And in addition to that, I was like, okay, I'm in a sorority at the University of Alabama. Um, that's not my path. Uh, I don't think I want to marry uh, a frat bro and live in Birmingham and have two kids by the time I'm 22. I didn't know that I was gay at the time, but I at least knew that much. And I was like, I'm like a free thinker. I'm like, you know, I like Obama, (laughs) which was like polarizing with everyone that I was around. And I started to really find my, like, kind of reclaim that sort of inner identity that was there that was totally lost at Alabama um, in that culture. And also dealing with the anxiety and coming to terms that I could die. And you know what? Like, that's just how it is. But, you know, you're going to be fine when you walk down the street, most likely. But you figured out you were a lesbian before you figured out that you were a comedian. Yes. Which is odd. (laughs) Is it? Which is odd. I think it should have been the other way around, right? It should have been like, I would have loved though, actually for a moment for me to be on stage um, and to just be talking to an audience. And then all of a sudden it just like hits me and I'm like, guys, I, and then I've never thought of it before. Mm-hmm. And it's like, I think, holy shit, I think I'm a lesbian and just really kind of have to deal with that. That would have been great, but that's not how it happened. No, that was that was Hannah Gadsby's story. I think no, <laughs> I, I, no, I can't. I can't speak for her. Um, but let's let's get back to you because I mean, you were you did go toward acting, mm-hmm. which I guess for someone who's who's closeted slash wrestling with your identity is great because you're already acting in life. Yeah, totally. And then, but you but you only started to even think about comedy because of your cousin? No, I mean, I grew up watching, like, you know, I grew up watching SNL and I grew up, um, I really was, I was obsessed with late night shows growing up. Hmm. And so a lot of times, like when I would go to bed, I would like watch um, Conan and Letterman and um, Kimmel and just every, I mean, Leno and and everybody I could watch. I mean, that was like my thing. And I would just watch it by myself. And 
was not, I was kind of confused when the next morning I would try to talk to my, you know, fourth grade friends and they hadn't seen <laughs> the bits. <laughs> um, and so that's kind of like really, I think was always something that was fascinating to me and I always really liked it. But yeah, I gravitated towards musical theater and that was like sort of, that was definitely my thing. Not sort of, it was a hundred percent something that I was fully pursuing for a very long time. Um, and then uh, but when I was 16, I started going to comedy clubs because of my cousin, Amber Nelson, who's a very funny comedian. And she was just starting out. And basically, like every spring break, I would fly up there and I would just like follow her around while she did bar shows, uh, while she did shows at UCB, um, you know, while she was on sketch teams and just it, and, and was like so immersed in the environment. But I also was like, oh, I could never do this. You know, like I kind of had it and, you know, there was something in the back of my brain that I was like, I can't, this is this, I could never do this. This is too crazy. You know, this is too, this look, they're so funny. I can't be that. Um, So I kind of ran away from it um, before I really uh, embraced it. So what was the first time that you could picture yourself on stage? Was it at a comedy club or was it UCB? I know you've, you've taken classes with UCB, so was was UCB the turning point? Yeah, UCB was definitely the turning point um, because before I was just doing auditions for musical theater um, and I was not, uh, I wasn't in equity, which is, you know, the union. So it was just like, wait for 10 hours and maybe be seen. And I did it for like two days and I was like, I can't, I can't do this. And I could also just, just being around the women that, that were there, I was like, this isn't me if I ever did a part, it would really have to be tailored to something like very specific. So I just like kind of on a whim started making sketch videos, but they were really bad. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I like this, but I know that I need some training. So I, I then signed up for UCB. And the moment I started taking sketch classes, I was, I was hooked. I was like, I mean, I was fully, in it I was in the cult <laughs> and um was going to cl- I was going to shows every single night and um and from there that's kind of how I got my first writing gig my first comedy writing gig my teacher um Eric Cunningham um shout out who is the best um got me a job over at MTV um and so I was like oh shit I can get paid to write for write comedy I can like do this um, and then really started to follow that route. But then as far as the on stage, you know, it's kind of a two-parter. I was really just, you know, obviously I wanted to perform. I, you know, I come from a performance background. But as far as like doing, being on stage, I was, I kind of just started doing random shows at UCB. I kind of first started just doing like bit shows. I remember doing like a thank you notes um, like a la Jimmy Fallon, but they were thank you notes, like um, from a lesbian's perspective, like thank you, nail clippers. Um, I don't know if that resonates with anybody, but maybe it, 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 it's, it's a slow burner. I, I thank <laughs> nail clippers all the time. <laughs> okay, great. Uh, it's just, yeah, it takes, it's a, it takes a second before it to hit. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, your background, you know, Filipino Spanish, Mm-hmm. And I know, you know, the UCB theaters are closed now, but but since you were there and there was a lot of talk about diversity and whether UCB was doing enough to expand outside of uh, upper class 
white folks. Right. Did you feel any of that while you were there? I did feel like I was, um, I guess, taken care of. Um, I, I was, I was on a diversity scholarship. Okay. Um, I felt, I felt like my voice was heard. And also what was really fun is in my sketch to a one class, I think most of the class was gay and it just happened to be that way. So all we did is we just wrote like gay sketches and then the two straight people just had to deal, (laughs) (laughs) including Eric. But Eric is just such a good, like he gets it and he's like, you know, has, you know, all types of friends. So he was like, obviously understood the humor when he did it. And he was like, "I, I can see you guys think it's funny. So yeah, hell yeah, let's do it. Um, so that was really nice. So I never really had a negative. Me personally, I never had a negative um, sort of experience there. And I know, you know, a lot of people who go through the UC, or who went through the UCB system, you know, their ultimate goal was like SNL or something like that. <laughs> so then to get jobs working for MTV or Bravo has to be kind of weird. Yeah. Yeah. I mean... Of course, like, you know, there's still a pipe dream to be on SNL. Mm-hmm. I think that dream will never go away. Um, but so if you're out there, <laughs> you make decisions. Um, but no, but I mean, it was it definitely like doing sort of like variety stuff. I never really thought that that was my sort of path. I mean, I guess it makes sense because here I am on stage doing bids. I watched late night TV now I'm doing like more variety stuff. Um, but, uh, but I was just grateful, especially at the time, I was just grateful to have, to be in a room and to be with people that were 10 times funnier than me um, and to be accepted and to, you know, and, and have some money and also just not go to my restaurant job at the time. I was like, this is great. I can, I'm making more money, which wasn't even that much, but then a, a 10 hour shift for a day, you know, and it's like those small things for me were like huge wins. So it didn't really matter what the work was at the time. Although it did, from from what you describe in the book of your experience working on Blind Date, it, it did sound like you had quite a win there as well, where, you know, mm-hmm. you're writing thought bubbles for <laughs> for these folks who are who are going on blind dates for TV fame and fortune. And you're writing you know, little thought bubbles for them. But yeah. then the, the producer, showrunner, um, like, listens to you. Yeah, he does. Yeah, there was a weird moment. Um, his name's K.P. Anderson, who, again, is such a great, such a great person. Um, and he came in because our, our showrunner got fired, um, which, you know what, ultimately made sense because the showrunner that was there at the time was um, he was on the reality side because it's a reality show. And then they bring comedies in post-production. And so these people go on blind dates. And then, like you said, we write thought bubbles and we like make, it's almost like watching uh, a date through a Snapchat filter is basically what it is. And it was a show that already existed, but they wanted to, you know, but they rebooted it. Right. Um, And one of the writers um, had a lesbian date, which I, personally kind of wanted to work on the queer dates, but I also was like, Oh, you know, it's kind of cool that they don't, they're, it doesn't really matter who's doing what, which I think also is very important. It's like, just because I'm queer, like I can write for, for anything, for anybody. I can write for a straight man. It doesn't really matter, you know? So I was like, that was, so I was like, 
I was sort of battling with that, but I was like, you know what? No, it's actually kind of cool. Like let him do the lesbian day. I mean, I had no, I didn't get to make the decision, but, <laughs> um, but then I watch a cut, I watch down the cut and there's these two queer women um, in a hot tub. And out of nowhere, this frog comes out, this animated frog. And is like, uh, kiss her. And it's, a, it's clearly the writer's voice. Mm-hmm. And then I'm like taken aback and really just, I don't know. It was, it was like a shot. It was like a, it felt like a, a gut punch. And then, and then when I thought it was over, it happened again. And it was just like more. And the whole point of the reboot was to be diverse and to have like, you know, queer, queer people, people of color, you know, I get that it's a show on Bravo, but it's still at the end of the day, like you, what we're doing in this moment is acting like queer relationships are for men. We're still doing that. And we're, which is such an archaic way of thinking and it's not true. And it's like, we're not for your pleasure. It's, it's, you know, these girls were, and they were having such a great time and the date was so good. And every, all the other jokes were really good up until, up until that moment. And I wrestled with it for about a couple of weeks. And yeah, I was a couple get, weeks. Yeah, because I was also really nervous. I was like, I didn't really know KP at the time. Our showrunner just got fired. He decided to keep all the writers. But like, you know, I was one of those things where I'm like, I don't want to get let go. Like, I need this job. And no one had made me feel uncomfortable at the job. But it's one of those things that you think about, which is unfortunate. And it was like my last day. And I knew that they were because I like we all like we had staggered exits. And I was going to actually work on the book. And, um, I went to his office and I, and I told him uh, more or less what I've told you and he immediately fixed it and was like, see, I didn't, I wouldn't have even known this. And I, and I really appreciate it. And then thanked me later, like a year later and like offered me a job because of it. <laughs> I was like, so that was like kind of cool. I was like, although you don't have to offer me a job. I mean, thank you. I mean, I'll take it, but also, um, you know, but it was so, it was so, I, I was so anxious for no reason because like in this day and age, anyone with the right set of mind, like a, the right mind would be like, yeah, duh, that's so stupid. Also frogs aren't at hot tubs. But it's, it's, it's a testament to the fact or the, the necessity for having a diverse room. Yeah, totally. Because if you don't have your voice in the room, that frog ends up on the air. 100%. Yeah, 100%. And I think because like, because, you know, again, no fault of his own, but like he didn't, he didn't put that together. And I think sometimes and I saw the wheels clicking in his head. And also he was under so much pressure too that like, he had probably watched it down was like, didn't think too much about it. And that's the thing, you know, what might not seem like a big deal to you is actually a big deal to a specific community. And I really was like, well, I'm the only like lesbian here. I'm the only queer person. I mean, I wasn't the only queer person, but I was the only like lesbian. And, and my, my argument too was like, you know, you wouldn't do this for the gay, the gay dates with men. You, right. I haven't seen any of this for that. And, you know, you're not doing it for the straight dates. So why are we doing it for the lesbians? What's the, you know, Riverdale is not something that, uh, I think is for me, but for you, it took you all the way to the Edinburgh Fringe Festival. 
It's, take it's, this. Wow, take we're really wow, we're really throwing we're really throwing it back. I this is so funny. Tell me, tell me how, <laughs> tell me how like a little musical parody, or was it never little? Was it always big from the start? It was always big from the start. Thank so, you for acknowledging. <laughs> so how did how did how did that go? Like, because you hadn't been to Edinburgh for, before. No, never. Uh, I mean, I'd been overseas, but I'd never been to, I hadn't been to Edinburgh specifically Mm -hmm. or to be in the festival or to go see the festival. Um, Yeah. So my buddy and I were um, really big this, and this all started before the lesbian agenda. So this is kind of like me really kind of finding my own voice. And uh, my buddy, John Trowbridge, who also is a very funny comedian um, was like he was watching Riverdale and he was like, you have to watch this show um, because he knew that I was also obsessed with like teen dramas. And like, that was like my thing. And that was his thing too. And we watched this show together and um, we were both like, we gotta, we gotta do a two man show. And, but, and, and the thing is, is Riverdale is based off of the Riverdale comics and the show Riverdale on the CW is a, hypersexual version of the comics. And we said, but what if we made it a hyper, what if our show was a hypersexual version of the hypersexual version of the comics? Because it's like, it is CW. So it's all these things that almost might happen, but you know, cause you know, all they're all 30, they're all cut. They're all just like, you know, they're taking showers together but it's like very like pg-13 and so we kind of were saying all the things that weren't being said and uh and then we did it we did it at the infamous duplex the duplex um then we did it over at union hall which has become my home um and then i was looking at festivals and i realized that we had missed a lot of the submissions for other festivals and i was like hey dude what if we just go to edinburgh and he was like i mean okay sure and then that's just really what happened. And then we did it. And then we went to, and we did like a week long version, um, which was nice. Cause we were able to like, test what it's like to be there and like be, you know, at the festival without having to commit for a, you know, our finances for a whole month. Oh, you, okay. So you didn't do the full month. We didn't do the full month. Where you month, have to, but... but you still have to compete with hundreds of shows. Yeah. And we had people come up and we had like Riverdale fans and we had like, I had, I specific, and I talked about in the book, there was like a 50 60 year old scottish man that was like they traveled like two hours from the country to see this and it changed his, he was like this changed my life or the wife said it because he couldn't say it of course because <laughs> he was in tears and i wish i was kidding but <laughs> now, <laughs> well, see, I, don't I, I was kidding but no see i wouldn't even have thought that riverdale would play for scottish audiences you know, that they would know the cw or it really that. was or even if they had read Archie comics i yeah i don't think of archie as a uk thing but i mean i think i think it has i think because of the cw it just it made it international um and all of these actors were just so uh yeah the actors themselves sort of made it famous um but yeah we weren't sure either i mean we were just really just going to just try it out um and uh as very funny, very fun. And I love that show. And one day I would like, I would hope to, I'd hope to bring it back. Um, Cause it's both of us playing all of the characters. Um, and the premise is that, I don't know how much you know about Riverdale. How much you know about Riverdale? 
just what you've told me that it's a hypersexualized <laughs> version of the comics so with the Archie premise, and Jughead and Veronica and so everyone's Bernie. just so hot and horny all the time and so our thing was um, gonorrhea mm, is spreading gonorrhea. like wildfire and only Archie Andrews um, the A number one hottie can save the town by his music. And that's where the story unfolds. And I can't give you more because, you know, I want people to come to the show when it happens again in 10 years. Right. Well, none of that sounds like it would be part of the lesbian agenda, but, um, but prove me wrong. <laughs> <laughs> what is it? Well, what? I'm in drag. I'm in drag. I was in drag. <laughs> Um, and, uh, it was something that I like doing, so it gets to be a part of the agenda because I liked it. Um, right. But the, the lesbian agenda, uh, in reference to Sophie Santos is a live show that happens in Brooklyn. Yes. Yeah. Um, the lesbian agenda. Oh, sorry. Go no, ahead. go ahead. Well, I didn't know if you were going to explain what it was, so I didn't mean to. Oh, no, I no. Please. You explain. <laughs> I'm not going to man. I'm not going to explain your show. Oh, I love it. I love it. I, I also would love you want to, to be man, you, want, you want to be mansplained? Yes, please. And I also would love to go back and forth and be like, no, no, you go. No, no, you go. No, no, wait. And then we just do that for... The last five minutes of the podcast is just, no, no, you. <laughs> oh, no, no, you. Yeah, so The Lesbian Agenda is a show um, in Brooklyn, um, and I've been doing it for about three years now. It's a very serious show where we try to enforce our new world order, um, for example, casting Rachel Weisz in every lesbian movie until she becomes a lesbian. It's so important. like that. It's, yeah. it's very, it's very important. Um, Does Daniel or, Craig know about that? Um, I think he's aware, but I don't think he understands that it's going to be a problem soon. <laughs> so, and it's his wife who keeps making these decisions of what movie she's starring in. I mean, we're, we're definitely sending the scripts over. Okay. We're like, do you want to be in, you know, do you want to be in Fast and the Furious or do you want to be in Disobedience? To You make more money in Fast and the Furious. Um, you have more exposure. You get to be a badass. But you chose Disobedience. I didn't force that. I just no. put it in front of you. My team... I have a lot of people on the team forced it and put it, put not forced, put it, just put the scripts in front of you. So, um, and then we do things that are a little bit more like, more like low key, I guess, like anyone who suffered through all three seasons of the real L word gets a lifetime of free IVF, you know, um, that's something that's important. Or if you, straight women who say that it's so much easier being gay have to read Ann Lister's uh, diaries as penance. That's a little bit more harsh. I think it's a harsher one, but like, you know, it's fair. Um, you know, and we, and there's a lot of things up my sleeve that I can't exactly tell you right now, but there are things, sure. but yeah, but it, it is coming back in a big way. We do it. Uh, we used to be monthly. Now we just, now we do it like whenever um, we, well, we'll just say we do it like every, you know, second Tuesday of the month, but you know, we're starting to take it on the road and take it to like LA and other places as well. Cause, cause it's growing. The agenda is growing. Now I don't know how, how closely you follow comedy community drama on social media. Mm. 
Well, it depends. But, There's a lot of comedy circles. <laughs> but last week, I noticed uh, there was something that that circulated quite widely through comedy Twitter, where there was a uh, hullabaloo, a kerfuffle, over okay. <laughs> over a, over a comedy show that was called "Men Aren't Funny." The t- oh. that was, just, that was the, the title of the show was "Men Aren't Funny," and then it showed the the flyer showed pictures of women and non-binary people. But mm-hmm. then, a, but then a straight male comedian, po- like retweeted it or quote tweeted it, and said, okay. "This is a comedy show." Oh wow! And, yeah, and then, so I I wonder <laughs> how how much were, grief, were we behind this? <laughs> I, I wonder I wonder how I wonder how much grief I wonder how much grief you get or feel just because the title of the show is the lesbian agenda. Um, honestly, we I haven't gotten any grief uh and now i've set myself up for failure because <laughs> i'm gonna set you up i'm sorry yeah yeah sorry yeah, i should have blamed you for it um, uh, no i'm sorry let me take a point let me take thank a you point. thank you thank you so much uh, i really appreciate it um see this is again you're a nice person you are not this jaded person i'm just gonna bring it back to this um but um no i mean the okay the only time which was crazy was we'd been doing the show for like at this point like a year and a half and we went to like go and just like Google the lesbian agenda to see like if we had made any sort of listings or whatever. And when it was in Google, like lesbian was like bleeped out. Mm. And, and so I, and it was a like Google and then we ended up talking about it at the show and it's never happened again, but I was so confused. I was like, why is this? Why? And, and it had been, it hadn't gotten flagged by somebody, but ever since then, like, you know, now it's, I think there's too many lesbian agenda things that it's, I mean, I don't know. Try me, you know, <laughs> uh, flag me. Let's see what happens. Um, but for the most part, yeah, no, everyone's been really cool. And I actually have a very diverse group of people. It's a lot of straight guys that come and they just like, and, and in not a weird way, they're like, it's great. They bring their girlfriends. There's a lot of straight couples that come. They're not like um, the frog. No, there are no frogs saying kiss her. No, no, they're there because they want to learn. They want to be educated. And we are making it more well-rounded where it's not just like, you know, it's, it's things that can be, be beneficial to everyone with lesbians in charge, which is the ultimate goal. I applaud you. And um, thank you. Thank you for, for, for a fun, well-rounded conversation. I really appreciate it. So yeah, thanks for having me. This episode of the Comics Comic Presents Last Things First was post-produced by Alex Brazell at Showbiz Studios. Theme music was by Camille Harris and Shockwave, logo by Giggle Chick. If you enjoyed listening, please check out my substack called Piffany at piffany.substack.com for transcripts, bonus commentary, and expert analysis about comedy, show business, and more. I'm your host, Sean O. McCarthy. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.